Hello, and welcome back to my Love Letter Time Machine, where we are unfolding the Victorian love story contained in the letters of two ordinary people from Sheffield, Yorkshire, Fred Shepherd and Janie Warburton. I'm Ingrid Birchall Hughes, and I just happen to be their great-great-granddaughter. Each week we travel 140 years back in time to discover the latest happenings, but today I have a bonus question and answer episode for you. requests for questions on Twitter, Instagram and on here and I was delighted to get such an interested response. Thank you so much for all of them. So let's dive in. Eleanor Blair on Twitter asked, do you have a favourite letter or moment? What's the funniest bit you've read? And how long do we have to wait until they get married? Hi Eleanor, thanks for your questions. Well, our next episode will start off season two in November 1881 and Fred and Janie got married in the October of the following year, 1882. In the podcast so far, I've fair galloped through 78 to 81 because of the scarcity of the information, and I've had to rely a lot on outside events to stay in context within the timeline. But now we're going to have the opposite situation. As there are so many letters for this last year of their courtship, I'm imagining, I think, two more seasons to get through them and tell the whole story. So the bad news is... It's going to take a while, but the good news is, is that we'll really get to enjoy their back and forth correspondence, which in letter preservation terms is pretty rare. So I hope you enjoy it. As far as my favourite letters are concerned, I have a soft spot for the first two letters they exchanged while Fred was on holiday in Bridlington in 1879. And I think I featured those back in episodes five and six of the podcast. I love that particular letter from Fred so much because it takes on a sort of Jerome K. Jerome tone in the humour. He refers to the band playing outside the window, look ever unto Jesus, and he says he wishes they would in another street. And Jane's first letter has a funny little cartoon that she's drawn of her trying to get onto the train. I think this first exchange is where I changed from thinking, oh, it's so nice to have these letters to, gosh, these were real people. And not only that, they have a bit of a spark about them. And I just wanted to find out as much as I could. I've read so many funny bits, but it's hard to pick a favourite. Now that I'm reading their letters out loud for the podcast, I find myself laughing all over again. It's quite hard to record sometimes, Um, usually at Jane. Fred has a dry wit, but Jane has that slightly off the wall turn of phrase that punches a laugh out of you when you're not expecting it. I'm still very fond of Jane saying... After tea, Sister Polly and I went down into town to have a shop window gaze. I bought a new hat. I hope you will like it. It is not any bigger than a large size coal scuttle, which which still makes me giggle. Susie Mack on Instagram says, I'd like to know everyday things such as what did they eat? I'm still figuring this out, Susie. If I had to say one word, it would be pies. There are a lot of pies and nary a mention of a vegetable. I know Fred writes that he has eggs or kippers for breakfast and that he's very fond of marmalade. And Janie is partial to a hot pot from the food stalls at the flower shows. But they do seem to mention pies a lot. I thought you might like this excerpt from an upcoming letter from Fred regarding the food that he gets in his new lodgings. I expect we shall have a cold dinner today. I think Mrs Gordon makes a mistake in getting so big a piece of meat for Sunday 
The consequence is that we have cold meat Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I wish I had you to cook for me, love. Then of course everything would be just right, or else I should grumble. And my grumbling, as you know, is tremendous. I think it will be roly-poly day today. Tuesday, apple pudding, with a small proportion of apples to a quantity of crust. With being four of us, Mrs Gordon has to call in the aid of her brother's wife, and this crust business is of her making. What we do is to eat the apple and leave the crust in a graceful pattern over the plates, or else make a pyramid of it on one plate. She were considerably astonished at our Louise's pastry. I think the Middlesbrough people are far behind Sheffield people in cookery and food looks. We shall perhaps improve both in time. I think I had better stop now, or else you will not be able to read it. We'll give you some more agony this afternoon. 3pm. I commence volume three of my letter, darling. <laughs> I commence... <laughs> I commence volume three of my letter, darling. This is, this is one of those moments that just cracks me up. I was wrong this morning. We had not roly-poly. It was a yellow mystery of some kind that had gooseberry preserve with flower water for sauce. Very solid and substantial, but I should think very indigestible. H.S. Charlesworth from Instagram asks, what websites and other secondary sources have you been using for your research, please? That's a great question. Well, as far as websites are concerned, there are the usual suspects like Wikipedia and Find My Past and the British Newspaper Archive. I also find myself using a lot of museum, university and archive websites to double check and get deeper information. I get a lot of use out of archive.org. It's a great resource where you can borrow books from libraries around the world online, which is really handy when you live in rural Wales. And I found a lot of secondary sources on there as well as being delighted to find copies of things that Fred and Jane make reference to, like the time Fred borrowed English pictures drawn with pen and pencil from his friend. It was a travel gazetteer of the time and it's full of beautiful engravings of various landmarks. I was enchanted to be flipping through the book, albeit online, that, and it was a book that Fred had looked at. At the moment, uh, the current secondary sources, I've got several sitting on my coffee table and they are The Classic Slum by Robert Roberts, which is brilliantly written, by the way, if a little harrowing. A History of Women's Education by June Purvis and Divorce in England, a centenary study by O.R. McGregor. That's actually a House of Lords cast off that I managed to find on eBay. When I went to the Sheffield archives, I got to delve into several books about the history of steel manufacture and now know far more about steel production than I ever mentioned. I've also got Sicklesmiths and Spear Carriers by Rosamond Duquesne, who is a distant cousin of mine and who put together the family history of the Staniforth going all the way back to 1575. There's an amazing photo in there of Jane's aunt, actually, Mary Staniforth, wearing a bonnet and looking formidable. She's also posing with a book, which I can see means that she wants us to know that she could read. Very important. Anyway, I would very much like to find more out about ordinary people at the time. We seem to know a lot about nobility and the celebrity class, as well as the extremely poor, but finding sources about how the middling segment of the population lived is more of a challenge. I mean, repeated everywhere is the rich versus poor paradigm of Victorian life. And while that's a really worthy thing to study, Fred and Janie and their families and all the people in their social circle are neither of those extremes. I can find myself disappearing into rabbit holes with the research and it's hard to know when to stop sometimes, like the time when I was reading up about Samuel Plimpsoll 
and discovered that Annie Besant, she of the Match Girls Trades Union fame, cut her teeth in activism with Plimsoll's campaigns. I was really tempted in talking about this on the podcast, but then I realised it was a massive tangent and didn't have anything to do with Fred and Jane or even Sheffield, and thus not furthering their story or fleshing out any background. So I realised that it wasn't really relevant. I was very excited to get two comments from Hansworth on Instagram. The first was from Susanna, who says, I just wanted to drop you a brief line to say how utterly enthralled I am in your wonderful podcast. Thank you, that's really lovely. I'm a born and bred Hansworth lass. As a student, I used to work in the cross keys. Venturing down into the cellar was always a daunting experience, not that anything out of the ordinary ever happened. As a young teacher, I bought my first house opposite the cross keys on St. Joseph Road. I fondly remember it being exactly 76 steps from my front door to the pubs, but alas, a few more on the way back. I wonder if Janie and her family knew the occupants of my former home. I seem to remember it dating from 1875. I was told that the cottages were initially built to house the builders contracted to build St. Joseph's Catholic Church and adjoining school. I recall you mentioning Janie helping at Sunday school. Would that have been Hansworth Endowed School? And the other comment from Hansworth is from Instadan, who writes, Hi, I believe St. Joseph's Church was opened around 1881 yards away from the Cross Keys, so I wonder if there's a mention of this in the period the letters cover. It must have been a huge construction project at the time. Great podcast. Well, thank you both. I'm thrilled you're loving the podcast, and I do hope I'm doing Hansworth proud. Funnily enough, my mum Jeannie went to school right next to St. Joseph's in Hansworth in the 50s. So if you've got any family members from Hansworth at that time, they may well have gone to school with her. It wasn't the Hansworth Endowed School that Janie taught at. She taught at the girls' Sunday school at St. Mary's. As yet, I haven't found out where that was held, if it was in the church or elsewhere. I'll have to have another dig around the next time I'm up in Sheffield. I didn't know until now anything about the construction of St. Joseph's Church being contemporary to Fred and Janie. I've done the final word search for all the letters for appropriate references and absolutely nothing has turned up. But as you say, it was opened in 1881, a year for the first half of which I have very few letters. No doubt Fred and Janie must have talked about it, but they've not left us any record. I'm sure Janie would have known the occupants who lived in your cottage, Susanna. I think Janie may have shared your view of the cellar as well, as in a letter in March 1882 she wrote, I have just been trying to fall down the cellar steps. I had to fetch some bitter up. Kate had washed them and put sand on. I slipped on the sand. I caught my elbow on the beer pipe, so saved myself from going to the bottom. I have only hurt my elbow a little. (laughs) Sounds hazardous. The next question is from So Occasion Now on Instagram. I'd like to ask, did the letters stop when they got married? Sadly, yes. No more letters after the wedding. However, I do have a lot of paperwork from after then. Things like Fred's will, dance cards from the balls they went to, a stack of paperwork to do with the education of Agnes, their eldest daughter, who seems to have been the brain box of the family. So I certainly have a better than average chance of putting together some of the details of their lives after the wedding. But it's nothing like the detail I have for their courtship. Emma Lou from Instagram asks, does Janie have any connection to the Warburton Bread Company family? And are Fred and Janie buried together? Hi, Emma. Well, there's long been this family rumour along the lines of of, um, one brother going into brewing and the other going into bread. 
it's faintly possible that Jane's father, James, may have been the brother or uncle or a cousin of Thomas Warburton, who started up his bakery in Lancashire. But we've not been able to confirm it yet with the records. Perhaps I should make another effort into James's origins. We believe his father, William, was born in Cheshire in 1790, and so things get a bit harder that far back. The name appears to originate from the village of Warburton in Cheshire, so we're more than likely related at some point back in history. It's a nice story, but I'm not sure it's enough evidence to convince the company to give me free crumpets, though. You asked if Fred and Janie are buried together, and Daisy Bug Girl from Instagram from Canada, hello, asked, how long were they ultimately married for? So I'll answer those two together. Well, I hope this isn't too much of a spoiler, but I'm really sad to report that Fred and Janie are not buried together because they were only married for just 12 and a half years before Fred died. That was in the May of 1894, and he was just 35 years old. He's buried in Linthorpe Cemetery in Middlesbrough. The date of his last will and testament is just a few days before his death, so they obviously knew that his illness, which I think was tuberculosis, but we've yet to confirm that, they obviously knew his illness was going to be fatal. Janie outlived him by 27 years, and she moved back to Sheffield. She's buried in Burngreave Cemetery in Sheffield, and that was in the May of 1921. I have a lot of Janie's paperwork after Fred's death, and so I'll be able to tell the rest of her story too. Which takes me neatly to my next question from Gwenvar's Garden from Sheffield on Twitter. Hi. Why do you think we have more letters from Fred to Janie than the other way round? Yeah, I can see why it feels like this at this stage of the story, but actually you'll be pleased to note we have a huge stack of Janie's letters to come. The details and the paperwork I have from them both in telling their story kind of mirror one another. At the beginning when they met, Fred kept a diary for about 18 months, which has been the main source of all the events for the podcast so far. And when we get to season two, we'll finally be in the thick of their back and forth correspondence. We've barely got into the letters in the podcast so far. And then after they get married, the letters dry up. But Janie's paperwork will give us the basis for the rest of the story. I will say though, while the number of letters even out, Fred's are longer generally because he gets far more free time than Janie does. So many of Janie's letters have, in haste, scrawled across the corner because she's helping her family run the pub. Gwenvar also asks, From a gender perspective, how traditional do you think Fred was in his attitudes towards women and Janie? I get the impression sometimes he is more enlightened and then other times quite traditional. I love this question. I wrangle with it all the time. The temptation to judge people by our modern standards is very strong. Some of the stuff Fred says, and on occasion Janie too, particularly regarding her attitude to Emma, rub me up the wrong way. I think in some ways Fred is fairly traditional. He's quick to judge other women as frivolous and silly, but he's never dismissive of the women in his life. In fact, he has strong relationships with them, especially his older sister Louisa, who he confides in. The institute where he went for adult classes was pioneering in making sure that women could attend too. So he was exposed to women being treated more equally and he never mentions any disapproval about this. But also both he and Janie seem to buy into the Victorian 
angel in the home role that was expected of women. And I feel quite uncomfortable when he seems to think that Jane should be happy to stay at home and not go off out on her own amusement. But Jane didn't seem to be particularly bothered, or as I suspect, she just decided to ignore him. She is genuinely looking forward to being a wife and a mother and running her own home. He's got the very traditional view that women shouldn't really like sex as much as men, and is slightly astounded that Janie seems to be into the idea as much as he is. I have the distinct impression that Janie encourages Fred, actually, on this front, and we'll see that he seems to get over this misconception pretty quickly. The main thing that tells me that Fred could be considered a little more enlightened for his time is that he consults Janie on nearly everything regarding decision-making. I can't wait for when we get to the episode when they discuss house layouts for themselves. They draw floor plans and everything. Fred talks about furnishing and lighting a fire in just one room for when they start out so as to save money. And Janie gently reminds him that he might not want to read his newspaper in the same room while she's doing the washing. Fred asks her advice about career situations. There's one point where Fred is expected to get a house ready for a manager at the steelworks and is completely at a loss. So there's a lot of Janie advising him on wallpaper choices and fittings. As much as it could have been at the time, I honestly think their relationship was definitely one of equals. Fred does seem to expect that Janie will follow his lead as master of the house, but at the same time, he solicits her consent on nearly everything. Lots of you have asked about photographs and yes, I do have photos of Fred and Janie and I've put some up on Instagram, which you can find if you search my love letter time machine or one word. And I've just started a Ko-fi page so that if you go to ko-fi.com forward slash my love letter time machine, you'll find pictures there too. And if you'd like to buy me a coffee while you're at it, that would be lovely and really help towards the production costs of this podcast. But please don't feel pressured. Actually, the best way to support me at the moment is if you wouldn't mind sharing this podcast to help get a bigger audience. And I have a question from my sister, Ellie. Hi, Ellie, who wants to know if any of us in the family take after Fred and Janie. Well, I remember how we both said, gosh, doesn't Will, your son, look just like him? I think that both you and Will have inherited Fred's up-tilted eyes and you in particular have inherited his dainty nose. I think mum especially, and me maybe a bit, have inherited Jane's deep-set eyes. She's got a very distinctive brown line towards the top of her nose, and we've both got that. But character-wise, I can see that both Will and myself have inherited a bit of Fred's sunshine and showers aspect of his personality. But the strongest sensation I get is that Janie's infectious sense of humour has absolutely been passed down to all of us, but particularly to our mum, Jeannie, especially the propensity to mess around with words and invent new ones. And I think mum has also inherited Fred's accounting chops and attention to detail. On a personal note, I think there was one very, very strong moment of recognition I had when Fred went for a lovely evening walk on the beach at Redcar and got so lost in his thoughts he nearly got cut off by the tide and then missed his train home. And anyone who knows me who's listening is probably nodding right now because that is absolutely something I would do, being the distracted, absent-minded person that I am. I often think that the fact that I'm Fred and Janie's great-granddaughter is the least interesting thing about this story, but every so often I'll read something that will catch me off guard 
and then I know bone deep that I'm related to them. And my final question is from Sparishon on Twitter. Do you have a go-to library for your soundscapes and music? And have you ever had any doubts about doing this as a solo project? Well, at the moment, I've been using audio files and sound effects from storyblocks.com, who are a subscription service, and they have a lot of copywriting music to choose from. Mixing together sound effects to create, say, the Blackpool seafront of 1880 has been a massive learning curve, but I've really enjoyed it. I have started recording myself writing with a fountain pen, though, because I think people are going to get bored with me using the same two clips over the course of so many letters. I have had a few doubts about doing this as a solo project. I would very much like to bounce theories around about what certain things mean and get some more feedback about the history. Um, And I'd love to have Fred and Janie voiced with proper Sheffield accents. Perhaps I could see if I could get someone to do that for a future bonus episode or something. I wasn't sure that a one-person podcast would be that fun to listen to until I came across um, a podcast by John Green called The Anthropocene Reviewed, which I absolutely recommend, by the way. It's so gorgeously done and on occasion really moving. So then I realised it was possible and I've been directly inspired by his gentle storytelling format if I'm doing even half as good a job as telling Fred and Janie's story, I'll be really pleased. So that brings us to the end of the bonus episode. Thank you so much for all your fabulous questions and all the lovely well wishes. It's been a gift to have a chance to look at this project through different eyes. I'm thrilled you're enjoying the podcast. And now that we're going to be in the thicker Fred and Janie's letters, I hope you enjoy season two even more. Thank you so much for your support. We'll leave it there for now. Thanks for listening to my love letter time machine. We'll be back next time with season two, where we'll find out how Fred is getting on with finding lodgings in Middlesbrough and how Janie is coping without him back in Handsworth. In the meantime, you can follow me sharing excerpts of Fred and Janie's letters on Instagram at my love letter time machine, all one word, or on the blog, mydarlingjanie.co.uk. And if you'd like to write to me, you can at myloveletter_time_machine at gmail.com. Until next time, take care.